and welcome to the Kuno podcast today with me Marie Oldfield and I've got Bill with us today Bill how are you doing I'm doing great how and Billy's you? joining us from Texas I am yeah a place I really like so it's really nice to have you on today Bill um do you want to start by kind of giving the listeners a background because you have got a really interesting background just give them a bit of um a taste of where you come from and how you got to where you are well okay uh, I actually didn't grow up in Texas. I grew up um, outside of New York City and moved around a whole lot. My parents were from Texas or lived in Texas before I was born. So I was kind of drawn to it. And I grew up mostly interested in uh, theater and then music. I actually announced to my dad when I was 12 that I was going to be a professional musician. Luckily, he didn't send me to military school after that. Uh, he just said, okay, great. And they were very supportive always about that. Um, so I've spent, you know, I always say that half of my work life is uh, playing music, which I've been doing professionally for about 40 years. Uh, and then for the last 15 or so, I've been a, a business and personal coach. So working mostly with small business owners to, um, you know, just help them do what they do and do it better, if you will. So that's, that's actually fascinating. So you started off in New York and was it there that you kind of got the music bug and the theater bug? Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, uh, my older sister played and sang, so I used to see her do it. We had a fairly musical household. And then I actually remember seeing, um, I know like your grades work a little different than ours, but in elementary school, in fifth grade for me, I saw the school choir perform. And I actually remember they did a Beach Boys song, Sloop John B. And I heard them do that. And I, I thought, I want to be up there with them doing that. Uh, so the next semester, that's what I did. And I never really stopped. And being that close to New York, I had a lot of opportunities to um, work in kind of off-Broadway and semi-professional theater, uh, which I really loved for a while. And then I got to that point where as a teenager, I really extra caught the music bug. I was already playing guitar and trying to write songs and um, I was goofy with braces and glasses, so I wasn't gonna get hired to be on stage in theater. So it <laughs> didn't matter what I looked like playing guitar. So I just, uh, kept doing that we've had somebody on before that, that that wrote music and this kind of thing and I was actually really intrigued how how do you write music is it kind of a mathematical logical these are the bits that need to go in or does it just kind no. of come out how does it work <laughs> it is uh the least mathematical thing for me and I, I think there are people who can see it more that way you know music and math are of course really closely related and actually, some of the people I know who are the best at music theory and really have a hook on that in a way that I don't are also really good at math. Uh, that's not really me. <laughs> Mostly, uh, I think for most of my life, I just kind of felt my way around. I have studied uh, songwriting uh, subsequently, and there is a craft to it, and there are things that work. You know, there's... Um, there are things that work. There are things that you know are gonna uh, probably work better than other things. So there's some craft and some thought in it. Uh, 
but at the same time, it's also just kind of whatever comes out. So is it kind of, you might um, maybe play something and then you get some words in your head or you get mm -hmm. some words and then you might kind of. Exactly right. That's so interesting. And it's never the same for me. It's, it goes all the way around. I've had uh, occasion to sit down, pick up a guitar and just bleh, out a song. Uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes, there it is. And, and yeah, I might go back to it and change this or change that. But, but for the most part, there it is. That's rare. That doesn't happen very often. I wish that happened more. <laughs> Other than that, it may be, I, I definitely keep a lot of ideas, especially musical ideas. I'll get a musical idea and um, I am working on being better about remembering and capturing lyrical ideas. And then I have um, some wonderful co-writers, people that I work with who have all kinds of ideas and they'll throw things at me. And sometimes I can go dig through all those ideas I have and go, Ooh, let's try this one with that. And then we'll see where it goes. Oh, wow. You see, I wish I could do that. I can write poetry, but putting the, the music and the words together, I, I'm not, that's well, I can't even play an instrument. <laughs> but yeah, that's, <laughs> you know that's... what? One of the most successful songwriters that I know in the United States, and when I say successful, I mean Grammy Awards, big hit songs, does not play, does not play any instruments, and is an okay singer. Not a great singer, an okay singer. But yet writes all these songs. Yes. And somebody else sets them to music. Uh, yeah, she co-writes with people. Um, and. Wow and is able to do that. So that just means that you're not, you know, you're, you're not out. You, you still can if you want to. It's amazing, isn't it? You just think that these people just like come out with everything and it's all kind of there and then production gets it and it all gets auto-tuned and things like that, but it's not how it works <laughs> at all. It's really creative. It's not really, yeah. oh, I love learning about it. So when you were kind of doing all this, this theater work and, and your music, did you find um, it was, you know, difficult in terms of mindset to kind of because I'm not sure what it's like in in terms of trying to get auditions and trying to get into mm -hmm. theater can it get quite tiring and are you doing a lot of auditions how does that kind of work I think it's one of the things that took me out of theater was mm -hmm. audition the, the whole auditioning thing especially as a young person was uh awful it was demoralizing it was just terrible uh and I also found that I had a, a, a real affinity for what was happening backstage in theater, so the tech side of things, and ended up doing a lot of that kind of work, which of course you didn't have to audition for, which was great. Uh, and then in music, mostly I didn't have to deal with that. As I was doing my own thing or putting together a band or joining somebody else's band who already knew me, so I didn't have to audition. Uh, but the auditioning process for theater, for films and all that can be incredibly hard. And I think it's it's one of the things that kept me sort of from doing that full time. Is it because they're kind of, they know who they're looking for and they want that particular person? Or, or is it just, um, is it that lots of people do it and a lot of people get rejected or it's hard to kind of meet the criteria that they want? What is kind of the main difficulties? And I mean, obviously everybody can't get the role, but what do you think are the sure. main difficulties? I think it's all of it. I think there is 
there's always something that a, a, a director is looking for. I think the last theater audition I went on was uh, for the show Rent. Uh, they came to Austin and did a big call. Uh, and those things are crazy because there's hundreds and hundreds of people at all of those. And they're doing them in cities all over the country. And they are looking for something very specific. There's an age range. There's a vocal range. Quite honestly, my voice is too low. I couldn't sing high enough to do I could sing well enough. I got... I got past the first, you know, cut, but I couldn't make the second one because the song in the key that I would need to sing it in uh, was not comfortable for me. So then you're out. And then, then the group just keeps getting smaller and smaller until they get somebody who can sing it really well and looks, you know, some, I guess, in a range of look that they need and, uh, and that they feel like can also just pull it off in front of an audience seven times a week wow that seems kind of unfair to audition all those people when they know exactly what they want in the first place well maybe it is maybe it is but <laughs> i wonder though if in that process sometimes they do get surprised yeah and see something they weren't looking for and maybe um, make that fit somewhere i i don't i don't really know i've never been on the other end of that in that way uh, i had to audition singers i was the vocal producer for this is crazy it was actually a we re-recorded all of the music to greece the show greece for a video game and so we had to come as close as we could to the sound of the original recordings without doing it exactly because that that'd be copyright infringement so we couldn't do that so i auditioned all the singers for that and at the same, you know, it's the same thing. You kind of know what you need. And I'm not, and I kind of, you know, they were all people I knew pretty much. And I kind of knew what they could all do, but I wasn't sure which one would actually fit. So you have them all come in and see which one works. I suppose you might have had a smaller group than the, I mean, these, you know, the yes, big auditions. Yes, a smaller group. Yeah. Because <laughs> the ones you were talking yeah. about sounded like it's, it's massive and it's just like yeah, everybody can go and audition. Yep, anybody. So on that kind of background, you've now moved into coaching and I've seen some of your testimonials. They're actually really good. Mm. Do you want to kind of give us um, a kind of overview of how, how did you transition in that way and, and why? Well, it was accidental. Uh, I, in the 90s, I was doing, you know, kind of, I was on my own sort of personal development journey and I was doing some seminars and things like that. And I actually got trained as a coach in the work I was doing, but it wasn't for a job. I didn't know it was something you could go do outside of that, um, you know, that education sort of arena. And uh, I guess almost 10 years later, I moved around a little bit. I was back in Texas. I had just started playing with a band and we put our first of six records out in 2007. And we traveled around a lot and didn't make any money. <laughs> and it was really hard. And in January of 2008, I remember being a little at my wit's end. Like I was tired and there wasn't a whole lot of music work for the next couple of months and I needed to do something. 
And I was on the phone with a friend of mine who was a filmmaker, but I also knew him as a, as a good coach. Like I'd been in those kind of situations with him. And he told me that he just got this job coaching people. And we talked about it for a minute and we hung up the phone and this light bulb went off over my head. And I thought, wait a minute, did he just say he was getting paid to coach people? So I called him back. I said, did you just say you were getting paid to coach people? And he said, yeah. Uh, and my next question, of course, was, are they hiring? And sure enough, they were. And I actually knew the person who was running that department. Uh, we still know each other. And uh, I ended up going to work for a company that was providing coaches for a couple of big authors from the book and the movie, The Secret. A guy named Joe Vitale and a guy named Bob Doyle. They had these big followings and people wanted their help, but of course they couldn't coach a couple thousand people. So um, this company provided the coaches and I was one of them. And over the course of the next year, I coached probably over a hundred people uh, in that time. At one time, 37 people at once, you know, was my, uh, that I had going on. So the great thing about that is you either know you love it or you want to go do something else. And I knew I loved it. But then of course it was 2008, 2009 and uh, things got a little weird and people weren't uh, shelling out a bunch of money for coaching. But I kept doing it. I always had a couple of clients uh, kind of on the side, still playing a lot of music, and that was my main focus. And in some ways, it, it still is and always will be. Uh, and then uh, we had a son 10 years ago, and I thought I should probably pay a little more attention to this coaching thing. Uh, just to have, if nothing else, because I love it, uh, I have an aptitude for it, and it's another income stream, which was very helpful at the time so so what kind of things do you coach because you mentioned um authors there is there a kind of um do you do coaching in different disciplines or is it kind of aimed at one type of uh discipline or, or certain people that's a good question because uh, one of the things that when you try to market yourself as a coach they always want to know who's your client yeah <laughs> and for me it's a really hard question to answer because if you look at the people that I coach, it's not industry specific in any way. I have musicians and artists, I have lawyers, I have doctors, I have financial advisors, I have arborists, I have, you know, you name it. It's across the board. But I think the, for me, what I'm interested in is people who have a business. It doesn't matter the size of that business. It doesn't matter what they're doing necessarily. Um, the challenge of having a business is massive. It's huge. I mean, seven out of 10 businesses fail in the first five years. Seven out of 10. It's not so, surprising, is it? Yeah, so it's, it's not hard. easy, right? Yeah. It's not easy. And, and who does a business owner have to talk to, to work out things with, to get advice from, to... Uh, try to find a resource for maybe something they don't know. Who do they have? Generally, unless you have a coach or a mentor, you don't have anybody. Uh, so I love being that person for business owners, being the trusted advisor. And sometimes I work with their teams or their, you know, the, their employees, but uh, it all comes from working with the, the business owner. 
What are the biggest types of um, challenges that you see? Because you, you say a lot about kind of mindset on your um, mm-hmm. website. And I can imagine that business owners um, have a lot of kind of mindset blocks because there is a huge amount of stuff to be doing and you're constantly spinning plates all over the place. What are the biggest challenges that, that people that you coach have? You're listening to the Kurunua podcast. If you want to ask a question to our experts, just go to kurunuacoaching.com and you will find the link to the podcast where you can leave us a voice message or send us an email and we will ask your question direct to the expert. That's kurunuacoaching.com. Kurunua Coaching is set up to offer mentoring, coaching and courses in leadership, negotiation and soft skills. If you're interested in finding out more about what Kurunua Coaching has to offer you, you can get in touch via Facebook, Instagram, you can type Kurunua into Google, you can email us on kurunuacoaching at gmail.com or go to our website at kurunuacoaching.com. That's kurunuacoaching.com. Well, you know, there's only one real challenge. There's only one thing that actually gets in your way, and that's you. And it's almost impossible by yourself to see how you get in your way. So the first thing I work on with any client is how are you getting in your way? And what can we do about that? And that opens up a lot of space to do other things and to take action in other areas. And oftentimes, you know, you're right. Every business owner that I work with has different challenges and yet they're all the same. Uh, Time, money, uh, how to manage all of it. Um, That thing that we do where we think that number one, we're supposed to do it all or we have to do it all ourselves and that we have to work, uh, work ourselves into the ground to be successful. And I just don't, I don't subscribe to that at all. I don't think it's right. I think we culturally have uh, put ourselves in a corner, if you will. Like if you're not working more than the guy next to you, then you're failing. And I, uh, I don't agree. I think that's actually quite interesting because with leadership, a lot of people say, you know, um, how do I deal with this situation? How do I deal with this situation? But they keep on coming back time and time and time again, and they're not influencing anything, they're not changing anything. And to me, that's what, like what you're saying, you're getting in your own way because you're not allowing yourself to solve these problems. You've got all these kind of um, frameworks in your head that are telling you that you need to you know, earn more money and work like this and actually breaking those down then can allow you to move forward. Do you find that that's you know, something that you deal with? Absolutely. And, and really from a leadership perspective, from a problem solving perspective, um, oftentimes the immediate response is to look outside of yourself Mm. for the source of the problem or how to fix it. And the first place to look is inside. The first place to look is in you. A good leader is built from the inside out. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. And I love this quote. It's actually not mine. Uh, You can't MBA a great leader. Great leaders don't come from an MBA program. They don't come from coursework. They're built from the inside. You have to work on yourself. And when you do that, it enables you to lead others. Why do you think it is that that people instinctively want to look outside and try and <laughs> fix everything outside for their entire life and then just refuse to look inside? 
Uh, yeah, because looking inside is scary. It's scary. It scares the heck out of people to look in there. What might they find? And you know, there's that, because there's that voice in your head, you know, the one that says all that terrible, terrible stuff to you all the time. Yeah, who wants to deal with that? And in fact, that's what you have to deal with. That's that's a really difficult thing to do, though, isn't it? I mean, if, if you yeah. kind of, if you want to go ahead and change kind of your belief framework and the way that you do things and actually make change, the uncomfortable part of maybe even coming out of a victim mindset or trying to move forward with something that you're not that comfortable with, that's that's kind of life changing and it's going to take a long time. How do you move forward with people that have got changes that they need to make like that? Mm. Small, consistent actions over time. Change, you know, transformation's great. And I've seen transformation happen in myself and in other people in a day, in a weekend, in a moment. You can shift your perspective. You can change how you view things in an instant. And it can open up this whole other space. But how do you actually turn that into lasting change? And the only answer I've come up with is small, consistent actions over time. So finding the actions that correspond with that change and staying on them. Just to, And it's not big stuff. It's not like, you know, um, a, a really good example for me is something like meditation. Uh, if If that's something that lines up with a change you're trying to make, like you want to be calmer or less reactive or be able to handle stress a little better. Um, the idea is not to then spend four or five hours trying to levitate off of a cushion, you know, in your house, because first of all, you don't have time to do that. And second of all, you can't do that. But if you spent even five minutes a day, more days than not, not even every day. Shoot for every day. That's great. You're not going to do it. Something's going to come up. Uh, you know, the, the, the kid's going to start crying or the dog's going to start barking or something's going to happen and you're going to miss a day. It doesn't matter. You just start again. And when you do that over a long period of time, all of a sudden, things have changed. Things are different. It's not a quick fix. What is your opinion on journaling? Do you think that supports um, making it. these changes? I love it. Um, I think, you know, we're really fortunate in that I heard a, a quote this morning. I really love the, there's a, a book called 10% Happier. There's an app uh, and a podcast to go with that. And I was listening to one of the podcast episodes this morning and, and Dan Harris described all the options that we have around wellness you know, around mental health as, as a quiver full of arrows. There's so many choices and not all of them are for you and not all of them are, are for you right now. Uh, I often have clients uh, start journaling. Uh, I do it on and off. I'm actually on right now. I've started again. And there are times where I go away from that and I'm doing other things. Uh, and then sometimes I come back to it. I think it's fantastic because sometimes there's just an enormous amount of noise up there, you know, and getting it out just 
getting it out. You don't have to do anything with it. Just get it out. It just makes some space. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I think I can relate to that. I, I'm the same. I'm on and off, but I tend to write poetry more to kind of express my feelings and write a journal. But I think you can do it how you need to do it as long as, you yeah. know, it works for you. And it doesn't have to be the same forever. You know, you might be writing poetry now and then you might journal a little more later. And then, of course, you're going to start your songwriting career here pretty soon. Start <laughs> co-writing, you know, and you'll be expressing yourself like that. But anything you can do to you know, get the, to get the noise out, I think is fantastic. I think that's one of the biggest things, isn't it? We've got the noise in our own heads that's telling us to do all this stuff. And then we've got social media and the news mm -hmm. and the world and everybody's got an opinion and they're all telling you to do something. And it's like, but which one do I pick? What do I need to do? And then I think yeah. getting the silence in there and making your own choices is, is quite difficult to do. It can be, there's way too much information. There's way too much coming at us. I am uh, a big proponent of curating the amount of information that you take in and what kind of information you take in. Unfortunately, you know, you mentioned social and I, I love social media in it's in certain respects. Um, but there seems to be a lot of confusion between opinion and fact these days, uh, which I find annoying. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just annoying. And I don't, uh, I try not to get sucked into that too much. Um, and you're right. You got to get quiet sometimes to be able to make a choice. You also have to know where you're going. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's really difficult to choose a direction because you actually have no idea where you want to end up. That's really hard though, isn't it? Like how you're kind of, it's like the same as being asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, where <laughs> do you want to end up? And it's like, well, I'm just trying to get through this week, to be honest. Well, yeah, well, maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe mm. it's, um, where do you want to be in five years? What do you want? What do you want five years from now to look like? And you're not stuck with it. This is just, if you had to guess today, what would you say? And, and even if you just made something up and said that, right? And you could ask some other questions along the way and maybe shape it up a little bit. You'd at least have something to aim for. And I did this funny exercise once. It was kind of like this. I was, I can't remember the book. It's, this was at the front of a book I was reading. And it had that thing in it where you do like two years, five years, and 10 years. Say, you know, where are you going to be? What do you want in two years and five years and 10 years? And so I did it. I don't think I did 10 years. I think I just did two and five. <laughs> I think 10 was like, I can't go lot. there. This was, this was a long time. It was probably 20 years ago now. And not long after that, maybe a year and a half, uh, I opened a recording studio in Austin for a little while outside of my house. I'd always had one in my house, but I was in a, a separate space and so I had a lot of boxes that I brought with me and I was going through the boxes and I found this pile of notebooks and I was checking through all the notebooks to see if they were full. <laughs> Can I use any of these? Are they full? And I found the stuff I had written a couple of years before for this, you know, out of this, this exercise in this book. And I instantly remember doing it. And then I looked at this list 
And none of it looked anything like I thought it might when I wrote it down, but I had all of it. When I looked at it, I was like, I have everything on this list right now. It just doesn't look like I thought it would when I wrote it down. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I did the same thing and I did it on a visualization board. Yeah. That's and cool. within that time, because mine was in the back of my notebook as well. And I opened it when I moved house a few years ago and I looked at it and I was like, all of that, I have it. It's that whole visualization thing, isn't it? Yeah. If you put it out there, you'll get it. Well, yeah. And if you don't, it's like, uh, I overuse this analogy, but I like it. It's like going to a restaurant and not ordering any food. Yeah. Just sitting there and saying, oh, bring me whatever. Well, they might bring you something you love. They might bring you something you don't want to eat. And it's kind of the same thing. How do you choose? If you're going to go on a road trip, it works better if you have a destination. <laughs> do we turn right here or do we turn left? Well, I don't know. Where are we going? Right? It sounds so easy, doesn't it? But a lot of us just leave it up to fate and then get really angry when things don't turn out. But actually, we never asked yeah. for it in the first place. Exactly right. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I'm going to borrow that analogy. I'm going to use it. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Uh, well, we're coming up to the end of the interview. And, and it, you know, it's been fascinating, especially lis listening to about music and things like this. I mean, I could talk about that forever. Um, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you on the internet? Well, sure. Uh, there's, uh, you can go to artistmind.co um, and that'll link you to just about everything. Uh, if you're a social media person, probably Instagram would be at mindartcoach. Uh, you can find me at those places. Uh, I also, uh, I have a podcast as well called The Subtle Art of Not Yelling that uh, you can find on the website or uh, you, know, you go to Apple or Spotify and all those places. And we'll link all the links below so that you can just jump straight through um, and find the podcast and, and find all the amazing resources uh, that Bill's got. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on today, Bill. Thanks so much for being a guest. Oh, thanks for having me. Really fun. You've been watching on YouTube or listening on an audio platform to the Kuno podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any amazing content. And don't forget to leave us a review. Coaching. Coaching.